Welcome to episode four of the Business and Chill podcast. This week, our guest is Colin Smith. Colin is the founder of Minteg, who are an asset integrity and inspection business based in Aberdeen. I won't give too much away just now, but it's safe to say that Colin's journey with uh, the business has been quite an interesting one. So uh, without further ado, here's my interview with Colin. Right, Colin, thanks, uh, thanks very much for giving up part of your Sunday afternoon to, to come along and speak to me. Uh, no problem at all. Uh, perfect. No, so we always start off with the first question is uh, what, what drink you've brought along with you to attend? <laughs> um, it's not very exciting because I've actually got to go out. I, I was planning on here a wee to near Strongbow, but I've, I've got to go out this, uh, well, this evening to drop some bits and pieces off. So uh, at the minute, <laughs> I've got some diluted juice and a glass of water. So oh, well, it's a pretty wild Sunday for me. That's okay. That's okay. Doesn't have to be anything uh, really that boozy. <laughs> but that's fine. Unlike yourself, I have brought along a beer this afternoon. This one is called Eight Ball Rye IPA, and it's from Beaver Town Brewing, which I believe are based in London. Um, they've got some really nice beers. Um, Gamma Ray being one of my favourites from them. Um, I've not, I don't think I've actually had this one before. Um, I don't tend to drink a huge amount of rye IPAs because they tend to be a bit less common. Rye IPAs in general tend to be they're very malty in flavour. Tend to normally have a bit of a sort of a red colouring to them. Um, this one is six point two percent, so we're not talking super strength, uh, but we're the, not, not the weakest either. Um, this is the first time I've had this one, as I say, and it's really, really very nice. So that'll that'll get me through uh, the afternoon, I'm sure. Uh, well, just to, since we're on the, on the subject of sort of drinks and stuff, what is your go-to sort of uh, tipple in a, of an evening when you, you've got a time you have to drive or whatever? Well, um, tr- truthfully, I'm not a, a beer drinker uh, and I'm not really a wine drinker. Uh, uh, rum, anything that I would go to on a night out or anything would be a rum. Um, or uh, if it's something more social, we're just sitting about and chatting away, I'll probably have a few uh, ciders. But I'm not, uh, I'm not the big, the biggest uh, drinker at, at home, but certainly on a night out I can uh, have a few drinks. It's, it's more where it comes into Right. Well, that's, that's, an, that's enough about nights out and drinking, so we'll, we'll, we'll get straight into the business stuff, if that's okay. Um, so maybe if you could if you maybe just share um, a wee bit of a background about yourself in terms of uh, career history um, up to and including Mintag, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, I, um, I left school at 16, um, more so from the fact that I am not a firm believer in getting told uh, what to do in the way you should live your life. Um, I, I kind of felt at school that there were two directions, um, and one of them was getting a degree, another one was getting an apprenticeship, and there was nothing else in between. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm the most academic person in the world, um, at the same time I'm not stupid either, but I, I certainly felt that uh, the way it was when I went to school, that was the only two options. So I thought to myself, 
would like to do something a wee bit different. So, um, leaving school at 16, um, although I wanted to do something different, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So, I went and did um, a bit of a, a Mickey Mouse course at the time just to fill in my time, um, more so because my, my, my parents um, said I needed to further my education. So, I went to college and did a course in outdoor pursuits. So, basically, uh, what I did there was uh, kayaking and canoeing and bits and pieces like that. So it was just a bit of a, a, a fun year for me and I kind of got a better understanding of where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do in life uh, from there. So I did that for a year um, and I worked in between times. Uh, one of the places I worked and I still uh, help out there was Melrose House Golf Club. Um, and the reason I, I got a job there um, was when I was about 13, all I wanted to do was uh, to drive. So uh, I got a job there picking up balls in the driving range. So that was my, uh, my passion was, was, and always has been, is, is driving. So um, I, I got the job there and uh, worked there from the age of 13 up until about 18. And I ended up going over to America and doing Camp America, um, where I once again learned an awful lot. Um, age 18, I was working at a kids' camp in Alabama, so in the deep south, and it was actually a foster kids uh, camp. Um, so it was quite uh, a difficult sort of situation to prove myself in 18-year-olds as pale. Uh, lanky ginger from Scotland uh, working in uh, the deep south and some of the stories and some of the um, experience I had there uh, really kind of um, was an eye-opener for me because as I say uh, I'm from just outside Old Meldrum a place called Booberty and I've never exposed to anything like what goes on over there so um, the life experience growing all the time when I went and did that and then when I came back, um, I realised I had to, to do something uh, with with my passion. So that was uh, cars. And I started importing uh, cars from Japan. Uh, and I, I bought quite a few cars and imported them, brought them over, sold them. And I, I've always uh, bought and sold uh, cars, and I still do um, to this day. But that was a, a real... Um, exciting point in my life for me because I, I got some funding from the Prince's Trust and then I managed to get some uh, loans from various other uh, businesses and I managed to build up quite a, a, a good going concern. That lasted for a few years until there was a, a crash uh, so the yen to the pound was certainly not very strong so I thought that I cannot be reliant on this, so I had to think outside the box and what I was going to do. Um, and by chance, I uh, landed in with a company called Can Offshore um, and did like a traineeship with them and uh, non destructive testing. And, and from there, worked worked with them for I think the first thing I worked with them was probably uh, I think it was six years. Um, I started as nothing and then worked my way up within the business. Um, and they, they're a fantastic outfit and I did extremely well with them um, and I decided to take it was a, a year out um, after that stint to, to 
follow again my passion, which is cars. And uh, I took a year out and did some uh, rallying within the UK and uh, abroad, which again, great experience for me. Uh, didn't make any money, however, um, the, what I learned from doing that um, certainly has pushed me forward to what I've managed to do um, and where I am now. So really, from there, I, I came back and I ended up going back uh, with uh, Can. Um, again, working away, um, learning an awful lot. But at that time, um, it was a different kind of setup and a different feeling to the business, which I, and I, I knew there was opportunity for something similar, uh, not to the size that they were, but certainly the potential to the size that they were. Um, so I, I worked there for another couple of years and then I, I ended up leaving um, and I, I set up Minteg. So um, Minteg is an inspection robot access company, um, similar to what can do, but certainly not um, exactly the same. And, I tried to do things a wee bit differently and I didn't really want to at the same time step on their toes um, with what I was doing. Ultimately, that's what it came to, uh, but in the beginning I certainly didn't want to, to, to do that. But I think um, in business you need to learn uh, your trade first of all and then push yourself to go and try and do something yourself and, and that's what I did. So um, we set up Minteg initially in 2012 um, but didn't really start pushing it until the 2015 mark because that's where um, there, was a, there was a the crash, an oil crash then. And I, every time that, that happens, it's not good for this area, but certainly there's potential there um, for small businesses to, to come out the other end in it. And um, I think there's lots of opportunity in these times. If I could just maybe pick up on a, a couple of things that you mentioned there. Um, First of all, one I sort of relate to quite closely um, is is the sort of options for when you were leaving school, um, because I mean you and I are at a similar age, and I remember the exact same scenario as you sort of mentioned. You go to these the career advisors, or you did at the time, and they said, "Well, you've basically got two options: you can go to uni and do a degree, or you can go and do some sort of uh, trade apprenticeship." Which I I, I kind of knew, although when when they when they ask you what you want to do, my answer was always, oh, I want to have my own business, which they didn't really didn't really have much of a an answer for at the time. No, because I didn't I, I didn't I knew I didn't want to be a tradesman, and I didn't necessarily want to go straight into doing a degree at university either. So, I think um, what you'd said there about although you you said you you left school and you you didn't go and directly do any sort of additional education at that time, it's clear to see that what you sort of did was go and gain experience through various things. Mm -hmm. um, is that, would you sort of say that that is probably one of the better things you've done in terms of, you know, that option? 100%. Yeah, I'd say 100%. Uh, experience and doing things that, that fall in path that I enjoy. Um, learning, certainly I can learn and I, I never put my mind to it. I'm not too bad with things, but I, I always wanted to just <laughs> do what I wanted to do in a selfish sort of respect. Um, but certainly um, with, with the school, there was there was no other choices. And it's the same today, I believe, with the syllabus of schooling. You're learning things uh, 
World War Two was a huge part of everyone's life, and we wouldn't be here today, probably speaking like this, if um, I, if things went a different way. But certainly, in history in the school, all you learn about is World War Two. We need to learn a, a lot of other things um, too. On top of that, and then same with like see your chemistry, physics. You're learning the basics of everything, but. It, School doesn't teach you how to phone up an insurance company to say, I bought a house and I need to insure it. Or school doesn't teach you to say, um, I want to build this app, how do I build this? Oh, well, yeah. we don't have this sort of thing at school. The future is going to be data and coding, but at school we're still learning the same stuff that I learned when same as you. And for the future, I don't believe that it's given people that drive and ambition. So don't get me wrong, I imagine there are some places that are giving kids enthusiasm, but certainly when I was there, there was no drive for that. It was just do the syllabus, get everyone, either they get a degree or they go to uh, get a trade. And that was really it. Um, so that was a big driving force uh, in, in my uh, life is, I don't think you need to have all these degrees or all these trades. Um, yes, it's good to have qualifications as a, as a backup. I totally agree with that. But certainly doing something you enjoy rather than just doing it because you're getting told you have to get something. Yeah, absolutely. I, I reckon, I mean, obviously there's certain jobs. If you want to become a doctor or a vet or a lawyer, you're going to need that degree and all that knowledge behind you. But out with that, I don't really see... Um, in my mind there should be a bit more scope for avenues to go in and, and, and get experience practical experience you can apply to what you think you might want to do in some capacity but I suppose we could probably do a, a whole uh, podcast on that on its own but I'll, certainly, certainly won't dedicate the whole thing to that um, no. just sort of moving forward then to the setting up of Minteg thing and, and you said during the the oil crash of the sort of was it around about 2015 or so, uh, you made a good point there that every time there's a, a bit of a slump, whether it be in the economy locally or nationally or globally, there is always opportunities for people. And obviously you spotted that. And I would just sort of really want to kind of maybe ask you, the Minteg thing, was it because you, you started off as a quite a, a small operation, you were able to be a bit more nimble and maybe provide a sort of more cost-effective service than other competitors. Was that maybe why that succeeded yeah, at that time? It, it definitely was that. Um, and we would kind of, it, it, it's a good trait and it's a bad trait at the same time. We would always say yes uh, to, to work as well. We would never really say, sorry, we're too busy or no, that's not really out with our remit. That's out with our remit. But generally, with with what we, what you do in, in in the rope access inspection side, you need to have that flexibility because you're getting asked by a client to do a certain scope, and the client then might when you're out there might say, well, want your guys to go up here and look at this for us. Would you mind doing that? And the answer is always yes. You always want to help people out, and um, with a bigger sort of business than a clunky machine. There's lots of processes and you kind of do something because you've not followed this process correctly. You kind of go and do this job because first of all, you need to do X, Y, and Z and speak to X, Y, and Z. The only person that the guys offshore had to speak to was me. Um, and I would make the decision to say, yeah, that's no problem at all. Um, we'd rather help out than um, cause any issues. A lot of the time, 
companies are going out finding finding issues, but rather than going back with a resolve, they're just putting them in a report, and the clients then down to up to them to make the decision. The decision is always the clients at the end of the day, but at the same time, we can help them by saying, well, we can put up cable tray if you want to do, or we can go up and inspect this. That's no problem at all. Um, just as long as everything's documented and you make sure you get uh, the greens from the client in the first instance, mm-hmm. we don't mind doing that. And I think that's the beauty of a, a smaller, uh, more nimble business is you can react like that um, and, and do those jobs. And as well, at that time, there's also a lot of uh, good, skilled guys that were available, not because they, were, uh, they weren't good, it's more so because at that time, uh, there wasn't that demand for the guys offshore. So we managed to get this really strong uh, team put together. And the guys that I started, when I started Mintech, uh, are still there, the, the offshore guys, because of that relationship. And, it's it's having the bond with the people. Um, uh, later on, with with the business uh, to, to get it to where it is now, we really needed something else, and rather than just uh, relying on the guys, because that's that's good to an extent, but then you need um, a USP, and the USP sells a business. Um, and anyone could uh, go and set up a rope access inspection company and or a business. But it's, it's making uh, money and actually making a difference, making something that's, yeah. in my mind, um, something that's got a future rather than just uh, makes money and then that's it. And it so, out, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was really the, the, the whole drive. Good stuff. So you, you mentioned you'd actually set up uh, Mintech as a business in 2012, but didn't really. Uh, do a whole lot with it until sort of 2015. What was kind of the, was there, was there a reason for that sort of lag? Or was it just like, a, did you go through like a transition between your, obviously you were working for a, a bigger operation at a time or what was the sort yes. of? Yes, yeah, well, I, it was, it was, it was run as a, a limited company, just a one man band to begin with. Um, and in that time as well, I was still uh, dabbling with, with my cars in the background. So it was better for me to be, a limited company as a one-man person, but as things got, uh, well, when 2015 came, everything was slowing down, and I was of the thought that as a, as a limited company, you need to kind of be on your toes. You kind of just be relying on uh, one business to pay your wage, so uh, that's why I decided to go a bit further, push a bit further, having contacts uh, over in Norway uh, and the Middle East, uh, I knew there was opportunity there. So I just uh, bit the bullet and decided to go solo. Um, and in that, as I say, within a six month period, get all the accreditations that you need to do the, do the work. And that's kind of where that, uh, all, the whole thing came from, was um, opportunities with friends more than anything else, friends and family overseas. From there, the money they made from that they managed to invest it into business to build it up and buy more equipment uh, and more marketing and offices and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. from these little contacts from friends and family, I managed to win business and then build it up. Yeah. So, did you have, um, I mean, you obviously started out on your own in Mintag. Obviously, that didn't last 
too long? Did who did you bring in? Was it was it sort of contacts you made through the oil industry or that you or friends that you sort of brought in to help you on that? Yeah, or? it was, it was uh, contacts uh, that I made through uh, time in the oil industry, and a lot of the contacts that I've made um, are through similar hobbies as well, which is is a great thing. Um, so fr- from there. Uh, in 2017, uh, we opened discussions with Enermec because um, Enermec were looking to expand into the rope access inspection side. However, uh, didn't really want to buy a, a big cumbersome business to fit into into their already sizable business. So that's why the discussions uh, started opening up there, and I um, got introduced to a couple of guys through Enermec. And the kind of the deal was to bring in a maintenance aspect to it. So Mintig wouldn't just be uh, an inspection rope access company, it would also supply maintenance as well. So a kind of the one-stop shop for doing asset integrity and maintenance. So um, I got introduced to other guys as well. Um, and that's where we all got brought together um, in 2017. It was ended 2016, start 2017. Um, we were speaking to uh, the Intermec guys, and then come June 2017, we'd signed an agreement between me, the three other guys, uh, and Intermec. Uh, two of the guys that we signed the agreement with were uh, like an introduction from the guys at Intermec. So, um, Looking back, was that a, a good thing to do? Probably not, because I never really knew them. But at the same time, um, the, the deal on the table was quite lucrative. Plus, uh, for me to get the business to uh, where it would be in 10, 15 years' time in two years was a lot more appealing to me than uh, doing it just straight overnight. Uh, sorry, taking that time, 10, 15 years, to, to get there so that was how we kind of all came together yeah so when when you said you signed the agreement with, with these guys plus NMEC at that time was was that for them to come up come on on board as sort of directors and to, to help build the business yes exactly right. um, so all, all was at the same time they they, they bought into uh, Mintex so they bought their shares into the Mintex group mm-hmm. uh, as did uh, some of the directors within Enermec, or Enermec and their uh, venture capitalists, their investors uh, got the majority share, so uh, my shares were diluted, but um, the investment that they brought in was quite sizable, um, which was great. And that was the thing, like not just thinking about myself, thinking about business and getting other people involved, it was a, it was a nice thing to do as well. Um, mm-hmm. and, to get that investment behind us to be able to do that and um, was great at the end of the day for me. Mm-hmm. So how, how did you find that process in, in terms of the investment coming in and getting all these new guys on, on board in the company? How, how, how was that for something you'd obviously started out on your own a couple of, two, three years before? Yeah, you, you know yourself, um, when you've got something, you, <laughs> it's quite difficult to give it up. Um, but what, what I felt was that uh, the business really needed an extra boost. I couldn't just be doing it, me and a few guys in the office, uh, all, all my days, because 
to be honest, I've drawn myself in the ground. The, the benefit of having the bigger business and the more people involved in it is more so like sort of the, the logistical side of things um, and all the different departments that you require a business to be like your, one, your payroll, your HSE, uh, as I've said there, your logistics, all this side and the knowledge. Um, I saw the benefit there uh, for doing that, so that's one of the reasons behind and the spread of uh, a bigger business. So um, the Enermec business, they've got companies all over the world, so they've got locations all over the world um, and three and a half, four thousand people working for them, so it's a sizable business. And I thought to myself, you know what, the, the amount I'm going to learn in this period of time um, is more valuable to me than not uh, giving up the shares because it would take me a lot longer to, mm-hmm. to create this contacts and this this opportunity. So I guess I guess you'd had to weigh up, as you said, the, the, the long you staying in the business for 10, 15 years, you know, and then moving on versus taking that investment on at an early stage. Was was it ever in your mind that you, you, you did consider sort of keep plugging away yourself or was it because the experience these guys brought, it wasn't really feasible in terms of did you really see it as like a, a thing that you are willing to stay in for like a huge a long period of time and actually as you say plug away or was it something you, you kind of decided early on you didn't really want to get involved with no I, I think it is the thing is I'm always driven by something I'm passionate about and I'm extremely passionate about it so yeah if I, that opportunity wasn't on the table I, I would still be plugging away with it now I wouldn't just give up on these sorts of things because there's a sizable business out there the, the, the inspection integrity business isn't just oil and gas related you've got your civil uh, works you've got your motorsport which is another exciting side of things and you've got various various different industries that this can all be transferred into so yeah i, I don't think that i i if this if this hadn't been on the plate then i would still be working away at it chipping away but i think because it was on the plate and the opportunity to to basically leapfrog uh, 10 years um in my mind five ten years was the the appealing side to it for me um, was because I I started the business uh, and I I was the the key the key person with bringing it all together. So um, for me to get to that stage in a short period of time was actually quite an achievement. I I think in my mind um, certainly um, speaking with other people and looking at businesses businesses don't get to the stage Mintech got to. Uh, that quickly so uh, yeah I think there's pros and cons I would still be doing it just now if uh, it was still owned by me but uh, certainly things change in the future and that's why I kind of stepped away from it. Yeah well it kind of leads me perfectly into sort of one of the other next questions I had was I mean a lot of times you see you know a business like that people all plug away to it plug away in the business until they're you know into their maybe late 40s early 50s then they'll sell the business and then that's basically their sort of retirement for you to have obviously started and grown and sold a business sort of by the time you're into your mid 30s isn't really particularly common i wouldn't say um and now obviously i mean i haven't actually explicitly said but obviously you're you've now no longer involved with the business so when when was it that you exited the business 
I exited the business uh, July 2019. Uh-huh. Um, so a couple of years after the other guys had sort of come in. Yes. Hi. Um, so how did you find that then, the transition from obviously going from a business you say you started on your own to having having some investment coming in and some, some key people coming in and then two years later you, you're you no longer involved with it at all? Well, certainly the first the investment that we got uh, in June 2017, um, my shares were diluted straight away but still had a certain amount of control with the business. Um, so there was, there was still a, a great sense of achievement and involvement, and I was still basically running, running the business. But over time, when someone's got a majority share, they want to do things a wee bit differently and do things uh, not really the, the the way that you envisage the business going. Um, so different management uh, within uh, the investment company were brought in um, and kind of changed the the feeling of the business um, and uh, for me uh, who uh, likes I wouldn't say control but certainly likes to be up to speed with everything that's happening um, things certainly uh, changed for me um, the passion wasn't there as, as, as much as it was in the beginning stages, uh, which is probably understandable. Um, but yeah, th- things uh, changed quite a bit for me over that two year period to make me have a decision where I thought, you know, for me to better myself and go off and uh, enjoy things a bit more, I needed to step away from it. But it was a big decision, a huge decision to step away from it. But because um, the bigger group got a bigger investment um, that made my shares totally out with the business. So once all my shares were totally out with the business and the new uh, investment group were in, I was of the understanding that I was going to get more shares and buy back in, but that didn't come to fruition. So um, I, I took the decision um, to step aside. It was a big decision, but I thought, you know what, there's lots of things going on in the world at the minute and there's lots of opportunities and things that I want to uh, try out. And I wanted to get more involved with uh, my car side of stuff as well again. Um, so I thought June, no, July uh, 2019, I thought, you know what, I'm going to bite the bullet um, and step aside from the business and get uh, some time off to recharge and rethink and come up with some new ideas um, and that's really one of the reasons well one of the main reasons is uh, I've got lots of ideas and the only way I'm going to find out if they work is by doing them so mm-hmm. absolutely so it's I guess um, you've also you also made the decision that you, you couldn't see your future in that business as it was at the time was that quite a as you was that an easy thing for you to realise from a business that you'd started or do you find that quite difficult? Uh, no, it was an easy thing to realise. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I could swear or not, but there were certainly a, a few arseholes that were put in a management position to try and manage a company that they had no experience of within that sector. And um, it, there was a lot of things that 
uh, didn't didn't gel with me. Um, the way uh, people th think and uh, the way people change their mindset when uh, they get put in a certain position. Um, and certainly at that moment in time, I thought it's definitely the right thing for me to do. Uh, mm -hmm. There was no, there was no doubt about it. You get told things uh, mm -hmm. that are going to happen in front of your colleagues, uh, and then that same person that tells you that uh, then retracts it when you're in a meeting with them, saying that they never said anything like that. So there's a lot of it was it was it was a very strange um, at the end because. Mm -hmm. I, I, I get on with everyone and I, I still speak to everyone that's there, but certainly the people that got moved into a more executive level from just being a management level changed overnight. And you can tell that they're wanting to feather their own pocket and uh, mm -hmm. helping out other people. So yeah. that's yeah. sad to say, but uh, I uh, certainly a few arseholes were <laughs> It's like Swe Sweden's not not a problem on this on this forum, you're right. But, uh, but well, I, I guess that's all right. Um, I guess that's that's as I suppose something you when you start out a business like you did, it's probably not something you ever really consider having to deal with, is because you always just assume, oh, this is going to be my business. I'm going to be in control of it. And when you obviously take on outside investment and new people come in, things can change very quickly. You kind of see that quite often. Yeah, when the new investment came in in the tail end of 2018 to the, the group, uh, the, the whole business uh, changed dramatically. The, the original uh, owners um, and shareholders of the business, fantastic people, and I keep in touch with them to this day. But once the, the deal was done, the, the new management came into place and the kind of the, the owners of the time or the, the percentage holders um, kind of took a back seat and that's you can see overnight because I had an alliance with these guys and, and we knew that they were going to be taking a back seat but the people that got moved into the positions after them certainly um, I think were uh, in above their heads um, so uh, yeah for, for me the decision to, to leave certainly wasn't a hard decision to make because uh, not to sound big-headed but certainly I've got the passion and drive to do do it again uh, not not within that industry but certainly do it again in the sense of setting up another business and take it to uh, on, level again. On, on, on that note, I guess I'll maybe transition sort of post Minteg. Then you've obviously you said you exited sort of mid two thousand and nineteen. We're now sort of what are we May two thousand and twenty. So you obviously had a bit of time to, to to recharge and sort of what have you and think about what the what the next step for you is. Um, have you got anything in mind or that you're planning yeah. or thinking about? Yeah, I, I am uh, working on a, a few different things at the minute. One of them is quite exciting. Um, it's still very much uh, in its infancy. However, um, I'm very passionate about it. So I'm, I'm working on that at the minute. I can't really, to be truthful with you, I don't really want to divulge much, as I say. Uh, I, these sorts of things with business, I didn't want to get ahead of myself and say, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to create. And then down the line six months time it's falling flat on its face that's something that i, that I don't want to do um 
but certainly the time off that I've had has been great. Um, it's given me a chance to actually have a better understanding of what life is about. If that sounds uh, not to sound mm-hmm. cheesy, which uh, that sounds extremely cheesy, but, no, not at all, not at all. Yeah, certainly, um, if I'd been on holidays and uh, been doing bits and pieces in my house, my garden, and whatnot, but that's really given me the the time to think. What do I want to do with my life? I, I don't know. I want to be working within an industry that's so cutthroat at the minute and so um, unenjoyable for for myself. Um, yes, the industry, oil and gas industry in the northeast, has been fantastic for this area, and it's it's created a lot of jobs and made a lot of people uh, extremely well off. But at the same time, it's also created a it's its own bubble, which I think it's just getting worse and worse. Uh, the dilution of skilled people, um, certainly, I, even for me, from my experience within it for a short period of time, it, it's, it's certainly getting worse. And also, I think with the oil and gas industry, um, it's been so good that people that probably could have uh, gone off and created various ideas or created businesses have been too comfortable to do that because the, the pay has been so good. Yeah. Um, so I think there's been a, a, a lack of that in this area. Um, but certainly, don't get me wrong, uh, it's been good for me, but for my next stage in my life, I certainly want to do it in a different industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, there's, there's a lot more to the to the world than just oil and gas, I think. Absolutely. I think living living in the Northeast, it is very easy to get caught up in the oil and gas of it all. Um, because it's it's you open the paper, that's what you probably read about. You speak to a lot of your friends and people you know, they work in the industry. So it is as you say, it's it is a a bubble, exactly what it is. And there's not it's just a lot of great people that work in the industry. But as you say, they probably had that had that industry not been there and so accessible, they could have gone off and into any other industry and, and done great things in that as well. So it's kind of interesting, exactly. I suppose. It is um, very fortunate in in my life as well because my parents uh, have been very supportive of anything that I do as well, and I think that was a, a key to the type of person I am. My mum and dad have never says, no, you can't do that, or you've got to go to university, you've got to do this. They've never been like that. They've kind of, obviously within reason, but kind of given uh, me and, and certainly my brothers as well a bit of a free late reign in life. Um, and for me, uh, I think that's been a, a, a big driving force is, is uh, having that sort of, well, not something to fall back on uh, or have something there but certainly the, their support if something did happen i'm sure they would be there to help us out not from a monetary aspect but certainly for if, if i needed somewhere to stay or anything like that they're they're always there so i think that's a, a good support um obviously get off girlfriends and friends and whatnot it's that's the, the key to um business as well is having that support there I don't think in this life you can just do everything by yourself all the time. No, absolutely not. I think that's um, something that's probably 
um, I've not really spoke about before on this podcast, but probably quite an underrated thing is to have that support network around you. So, okay, I mean, you might, whatever business you might want to start up or you're involved in, there's obviously an element of risk in that, but to know that uh, you, you can take those risks and not and not have the have the prospect of being homeless if it goes all you know tits up if you like that's that gives you that just a little bit of comfort there that it is okay to go and try to push yourself a little bit more yeah you, you need that you need you need that support there from anyone it doesn't even need to be family and colleagues and whatnot and every every person that i've come across in my life and i've just speak to them about what i'm doing they're all extremely supportive with it um Ex ex employers weren't extremely uh, supportive of what I was doing because mm. they, I think, at the end of the day, they were um, scared of what we could achieve and what I did achieve in a short period of time. So certainly that was an eye opener to me from people that I thought were friends to then turning uh, quite against you uh, for just trying to better yourself in life. Yeah, that was quite an eye opener and a bit. Bit of a, a sore pill to swallow, but certainly uh, I'm old enough yeah. and you can brush these sorts of things off. But yeah, the support from anyone is key to a business. Yeah, I say I, I never really um, understand people that don't want other people to better themselves. I, I had one experience uh, in my sort of previous career where I I sort of told told my my boss that I was leaving, and basically from that day onwards, he uh, he basically didn't speak to me until the day I left. Which yeah. I thought was a bit a bit childish and petty, and now I'm in the position that I've got a few staff. And if somebody came to me and said, "Oh, hey David, I'm wanting to set up my own business," I would say, "Good luck to you, and if you need anything, give me a shout." You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't understand exactly. the need for pettiness, but anyway. So I won't I won't push you on the the next business or potential businesses, but from what you said, I can kind of maybe surmise that it might not be in oil and gas. Would that be correct? I'm not too proud that if I have to um, go back to oil and gas, um, I will. I, I, like Certainly, I, it's what I know, it's what I understand. But I, I like pushing the boat out a little bit and trying things. And mm -hmm. I think if you don't try, you never succeed. So certainly, uh, the next stage is, is to other industries which... I know um, what I'm doing could help, but whether it, whether we'll get somewhere with it, I don't know. But certainly, uh, trying. If if nothing else, if you know, as you mentioned earlier, having passion for a business is 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 ninety percent of it. And if you you know if if you can have the opportunity to start a a new business in a new industry that you're passionate about, then chances are that's going to be more successful than if you just sort of went and did something because you think oh well, I can make a few quid here without any real yeah. passion for it the, the passion, yeah that, that's exactly it um, Minteg at the start certainly extremely passionate and I still am passionate about business it's still a, a great goal concern and the, the guys that are running that are great guys but the, when it gets to the stage where you lose that passion for it it's time to move on and try something else and that's exactly what I decided and I'm doing Mm -hmm. Well, since we're, since we're on the topic of of passions, uh, we, we've covered a good bit of stuff there, business wise. Uh, you've mentioned cars a good few times during the, during the first part of the, the part of the podcast, which is absolutely fine. Which that I mean, it doesn't really have to be asked. But I assume uh, out with a work environment, 
cars is a huge thing for you, is it? It's a huge part of my life. Uh, I'm a right sad bugger when it comes to cars and motorbikes. Uh, I, I just always have been. Um, probably my dad um, has has done that to me and my brother. Uh, from a, from you know, I'm not really into my football, um, but certainly cars, motorsport is something is a huge huge passion of mine, and it's it's something that brings people together. The amount of people I've met and a business aspect through cars is phenomenal because you get chatting about something that you're interested in and then you ask them, what do you do? And mm-hmm. it's amazing the amount of doors that this, this community opens up as well. Um, so yeah, I've got a bit of a habit for, for cars and motorbikes. Um, I th- and yeah, I think, I, I think that's um, true of any sort of hobby. I mean, if, I mean, I'm, you you know that I'm a bit of a golfer, and the amount of times you, you go out and you you play golfing events, and you start chatting to guys you're playing with, and it conversation naturally turns to to work and stuff. And you say you you make probably more contacts through that sort of either golf or motorsport in your case than you probably would do out with a work environment. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, but you're you're right. Um, golf. Uh, it was a, someone said to me, "How often do you get a four and a half hour meeting with someone?" Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't, and that's why golf is a fantastic thing to, to do um, if, if you can. And that's obviously a passion of mine as well. Believe it yourself, and I enjoy I enjoy golf, but golf for me is a is a hobby, and it's a, it's not something that uh, I want to be the best player in the world at. But certainly, I enjoy playing in the summertime. Uh, I'm a fair weather golfer, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm a bit, I must admit I'm a bit the same myself. I used to be fairly serious about about golf, but other things in life have sort of taken taken over that. And I and I use golf basically just a, as a chance to, as you say, get get out on a fine day and maybe have a, a beer going around the course. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, to, like to get with your friends nowadays, if you've got family and uh, kids, or they're away with their work, if they work offshore, the chance you get to to play with them for the for a four-hour time, it's probably quite rare. Uh, but mm-hmm. when you can, you've got to do it. Also, coming back to the sort of um, making contacts in golf and stuff, the thing I like about golf is you, you can turn up and play at a golf event and you're in it playing with three other people. And at that moment in time, you're all just golfers. doesn't matter. You, know, you could be playing with somebody that's the head of the biggest company in the UK. But in that moment yeah. in time, you're, you and him are, are you're both the same. You're both golfers. But it's kind exactly. of levels levels of playing field a wee bit, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, aye. But whereas if you go into a meeting with someone that's the head of company, you feel, I wouldn't say intimidated, but certainly you're not as relaxed, you're not mm-hmm. as uh, comfortable to speak to them um, as such. Whereas if you're on a golf course and, and you're getting a chance to speak to them and it's a nice day, then it's all the better. And if you play well, then they have a bit of respect for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if 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 I ever played well, I'd maybe find out. But never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you mentioned earlier on you you spoke about you, you rally and you did rallying for a couple of years. Um, where where about was that sort of Great Britain wide or was that Scotland or where about was that? I I always um, wanted due to my passion for cars and motorsport and uh, being in Scotland and. Uh, having Colin McRae as, as your idol when you're growing up. 
Um, certainly, I always wanted to, to, to do it, and the only reason I was able to do it was because I sold my car and I bought a rally car, and from there just decided I wanted to go rallying. So um, initially, it started 2008 um, in the 205 uh, Championship, um, which was brilliant. There was often over 30 cars I, in that class, the, the 205 class, um, racing against one another, so all the cars were the same. So I started in 2008, uh, and I enjoyed that year, but in 2009 I got a bit more serious, and that we did the 205 Challenge again, and the Scottish Junior Championship, and we finished, uh, I was Scott, second uh, Scottish Junior in 2009, um, and due to a technical issue with the car, I should have won it that year, but I never did. Oh. But um, <laughs> not, not to digress, but certainly uh, that's where I got the passion. And then 2009, there was a, uh, it was called the Intercontinental Rally Challenge. Um, so it was a big international event at the Rally Scotland um, where we, uh, rallied in that, so it was the first time we'd rallied into, in an international event, although it was on our own, and we finished uh, second in class for our first uh, event, which was all the top drivers from all over the world, so we knew that we had a bit of a, a chance there, so we decided in 2010 to do a few more of the rounds in the Intercontinental, uh, so IRC for short, um, so we did Again, the Rally Scotland, we did Rally Ypres in, in uh, Belgium, and then we did Rally Sardinia in Italy, and we won that. And then we did a few uh, rounds in Scotland as well. So we did quite well out of it. And um, at the time, you didn't really think about it, but it was unbelievably enjoyable. And, and the amount I learned through it uh, and the contacts that I made again um, were huge. So uh, with with that being said, we scored points for uh, Honda in the two-wheel drive cup, and that kind of gave us quite a bit of kudos. Um, so the reason why I never kept going with that, well, the main reason is, is money. Um, it just takes as much as you want, are you willing to put into it, and when being self-funded with a little bit of sponsorship from a couple of companies, it's quite tough uh, to get to the top of your game without having the money behind you. So. Uh, I kind of had to shelf that um, and concentrate on business rather than uh, at, the, at that time it was a hobby. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I think it's every every motorsports a bit the same, isn't it? It all comes down to how much funding you can get and to to really know how far you can take it, sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And with in a, in a good sense, though, with uh, inspection background. Um, Myself and uh, a colleague, uh, we set up a motorsport integrity, so we did inspection on safety devices, and there's still a small arm of that still going, which is quite exciting. Um, but at the same time, with a big organisation as the FIA, uh, trying to get rule changes and people to, to do what we're trying to say uh, is quite difficult. It's, um, but certainly. It opened doors for us to go and speak to these people to put the idea in their head. So, mm-hmm. so you, you've maybe still got a bit of a, 
a, f- a finger in the in the rally and pie, so to speak. But would you ever want to sort of go back and and do a bit of driving or racing or? Oh, definitely. Uh, that's <laughs> like business for me is to get back into doing it and to do it without having to think. Well, how much is this going to cost me? I want to get to a stage where I think, well, I'm really enjoying it. it doesn't matter about the cost of that's in the background, but yeah. Motorsport is something I want to get back into at some stage, uh, but as a gentleman driver rather than trying to chase a trophy and that's all you get out at the end of the day of it is a trophy and the achievement of doing that. I want to go out there and enjoy the driving and the car mm-hmm. and all that. That's what I, I'm into now rather than just trying to pick up a trophy don't get me wrong I, I still want to win but <laughs> you, see, you, you say that now wait until you get back in the car then the, the competitive juices will start flowing again I certainly uh, I think having two brothers makes makes you quite a competitive person in your life so yeah but yeah I, I would like to get back into some 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 form uh-huh. of um, motorsport yeah so uh, obviously you mentioned you've kind of had a bit of time off um the last week we while um which, other than doing your garden, what kind of what other things have you been getting up to? Um, well, uh, as I say, there's the, the new idea, uh, which is business yet. It's not uh, uh, formalised as yet, but certainly that's taken up a lot of my time. Uh, and also a lot of my time I want to spend is with um, family and friends because... Uh, that is something I kind of lost a wee bit when I was working with them in Texas. Just not not uh, through me being rude or anything. It's more so having the time to do it. Um, so I've got family down south, and I've been down quite a few times. And, um, um, certainly, that's been a big part of uh, the reason to change my lifestyle rather than just focusing. Hundred percent on on a business uh, mm-hmm. is, is to actually enjoy it. I've been playing a fair bit of golf, <laughs> which has been good, and uh, also uh, I've been buying and selling the odd car here and there. But just if if I enjoy something, a car that I want, not just any mm-hmm. car. Uh, and I say buying and sell more so buying. More so buying. Um, well, well, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to elaborate on that. What's uh, what's the the, the most recent purchase then I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it might be a Porsche well, <laughs> well uh, not this time no no, <laughs> no uh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I had see when I was younger I had this thing called a Clio 16 valve uh, which a 1.8 16 valve it looks like a Williams but it's yeah. not mm-hmm. and the, uh, this, this one is uh, like a special edition after a French rally driver called Ron, eh, Ron sorry, eh, Jean Ragnotti, um, and I, I just, it was a, I just had to get it for my own peace of mind. I've been looking for one for years, and this one came in the market, so I just bought that not too long ago. Um, I, so that's that's my my recent purchases around the wheel. So. Oh well. The reason I also mentioned a Porsche, I know you, you mentioned earlier that your your dad is probably responsible for, for your interest <laughs> in cars. And I know that he he and uh, your brother, Al, I know, uh, are, are major Porsche enthusiasts, uh, shall we say. It's, <laughs> it's uh, run, run in the family. In my family, if you did a, a 
I think my dad would disown you if you didn't like your Porsches. But uh, certainly, uh, it's been a from our from an upbringing because uh, when we were younger, my mum and dad didn't have much much money. Um, my dad always worked, and uh, but his passion was to get a. Another, he had one when he was younger, but when he had a family, he couldn't <laughs> afford to keep it. But his passion was, he always, when we were kids, talked about them. And every time we went to a car show, would tell you everything about them. So, kind of from a young age, that gets ingrained in you. I guess it's the same as if your dad's into football or your dad's into golf or whatever it might be. But certainly, <laughs> I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but certainly that's what's kind of ingrained into ourselves. Was, uh, the whole uh, Porsche side of things, and it, it's a great because again, the community there with the Porsche side, you can get a Porsche for a couple of grand, or you can spend hundreds of thousands on them. They're so accessible, and again, they bring people together. Um, and I think it's it's another good thing when I've been to car shows and I've taken one, people come and speak to you about it, and again, you make these contacts that you would never have made if you didn't have these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I suppose, I mean, because you've obviously not been sort of working per se in a defined role last week while, you'll have kind of missed all the, uh, the the COVID-19 excitement when it comes to business. But um, how how have you found that from a perspective? Obviously, socially, it's maybe impacted you, but uh, just in general. I, uh, in general, I'm truthful, I'm quite fortunate in that sense that it's not really impacted me that much. Um, it certainly, if anything, it's made me think a lot more about what opportunities are out there. Not, um, uh, not from a selfish perspective, but I think this is going to open doors in people's minds to actually think, well, we take things for granted in, in the world uh, and how easy we've got. You can jump on a plane from Edinburgh to Portugal for £30 or even Aberdeen for cheapest chips um, and you can just book it in the morning and by afternoon you're in uh, abroad and we take these things for granted and um, I think it's going to give people a better realisation of what life is again and what's the important things in life rather than taking your selfies on Instagram to yeah posts about eating out at Nando's or something like that I think yeah. there's a lot more to life than that no, absolutely. I think, um, I actually think it's, I mean, personally, I mean, I've, I've, I've probably not been as impacted uh, as a lot of people have in terms of work or whatever, but I think it is hopefully going to be a thing where people actually take a bit of stock and say, right, you know, I used to be obsessed with whatever, as you say, my social media account or whatever it was, but now all I want to do is go around and see my family. You know what I mean? So it's maybe a bit of a, try and take the positive from it and see it as a bit of a reset in terms of mindset, hopefully, but whether yeah. that happens or not, I don't know. I, I think I think you have got to take positives from because every everywhere you, you you go on all your social media platforms or if you're sitting on your computer and you get push notifications coming through from BBC, everything's doom and gloom. But there, there's a lot of positives to take out the back end of this as well. Obviously, there's been huge negatives, but at the same time, from a business perspective, it, it, it's bringing folk together, and, and I think. Yeah, uh, what the government have done for businesses is quite admirable as well. Don't get me wrong, that money has to come from somewhere and it's going to have to go back. But at the same time, the government understands and knows we need to keep businesses going. And 
small businesses and local businesses uh, I need the support and I think everyone around has noticed that and certainly for me uh, I live out in the countryside in the farm shops I've never seen them so busy and I think it's a great thing mm-hmm. yeah hopefully, hopefully it will be something that people will maybe prioritise local independent shops over the, the bigger chains going forward yeah well, no, I, th- thanks very much for your time, Colin. I think we've covered quite a lot of really interesting stuff there. Um, and I guess um, hopefully once things open back up a little bit, I'll maybe see you in the golf course at some point. <laughs> well, you'll, see me, you'll see me hacking around. I might not be on the course itself. But I uh, hopefully I haven't allowed to do too much. And um, I, I think maybe in the next, uh, well, definitely within the next six months, I'll be able to, Tell you a bit more about what uh, I'm doing, and or sorry, we're doing um, for the next sort of business side of things, and I'm happy to discuss that. But as I say, that's only if it gets to the stage where it's, I think, going to be something. Well, in that case, what what I'll maybe do is uh, I'll I'll keep in touch, uh, and once you maybe get to the point when you are actually up and running with something, we can maybe get you get you back on and do a bit of an update. It's something we've right. not well, done previously. And if I can help out with anything else with yourself, if you're needing contacts of people, if I if I've got them or if I can put you in touch, I'll certainly do that. Um, but I um, thanks very much. Thanks very much again to Colin for coming on the podcast this week. If you enjoyed what you heard, please uh, tell one of your friends about it. Um, if you didn't enjoy it, then just pretend like it never happened. Please remember to subscribe to receive new episodes automatically on all of our platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Facebook at Business and Chill Podcast, or drop us an email if there's anyone you'd like to hear interviewed. The email address is businessandchillpod at gmail.com. And until next time, let's get back to business, but don't forget to take some time to chill.